0: The religion of our day is psychology, counseling. I'm not talking about biblical counseling. I'm not talking about biblical counseling that causes a person to be confronted with sin and tells them what the Word of God says. But the religion of our day that says you need to see a therapist and you can't be whole... Unless you continually see an analyst and a therapist and then you'll be whole and then you can function in life is the new religion of our day and it's sucking in a lot of Christians.
1: Religion is a disease that has plagued mankind since God evicted Adam and Eve from the garden. There are more religions than we could ever list, but they all have one thing in common. They are all like that old Waylon Jennings songs, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. As the French mathematician Pascal said, we all have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. The problem is that we try to fill it with anything except God. We fill it with religion instead of the relationship God wants us to have with Him. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Krylov. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has been serving in that capacity for more than 27 years. Today we begin Pastor Steve's concluding message from the third chapter of Philippians. If you have your Bible ready, please turn to verse 17. We will be spending the next three classes discovering the cure for religion.
0: You'd open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We want to look at the closing verses of this chapter, verses 17 through 21. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Paul writes, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of christ whose end is destruction whose god is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame who set their minds on earthly things for our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a savior the lord jesus christ who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself Now, there's one word in these verses that just seems to be totally out of place. Maybe you've caught it already. One word that just seems to be out of place and inconsistent with the rest of the book of Philippians. I won't ask you to call out, but it is the word found in verse 18, weeping. Weeping. How does weeping fit into a book that is centered around the theme of joy, of rejoicing? Well, the answer to that question unlocks the passage before us that is really a key concept why is Paul weeping even as he writes this even as he's telling them this you see the message to the Philippians was a message of joy to rejoice in spite of the difficulties of life in spite of circumstances and in, fi- in spite of distractions in spite of stressful conditions and that is what the whole letter is centered around the Philippians were trying to track down the Apostle Paul probably for a few years and they finally discovered that he's locked away under house arrest in Rome, and uh, they are worried about him. They are concerned about him. They are worried about what the future of the gospel is going to be now that they know that the great apostle is, is under house arrest. He may die any day. Nero could just say off with his head and that's it. And so Paul basically writes the letter back to them to say, don't worry about me. I'm doing fine. In fact, don't worry at all. Rejoice. And so in chapter 1, as we saw this a number of months ago, in verse 18, he says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. And that whole chapter is centered around circumstances. He rejoiced even though his circumstances were unpleasant. Why? Because his circumstances resulted in the spread of the gospel, and that gave him great joy. And that's what he's saying. He said, I rejoice that Christ is proclaimed, even if it means that I have to go to jail for it. That's chapter one, joy and circumstances. Chapter two addresses the issue of selfishness among church members. Everybody seems to have their own agenda and everybody seems to want their own way. And and, uh, Paul is telling the church at Philippi that you have some really uh, serious conflicts and everybody is into his own thing and therefore he writes in chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself do not merely look out for your own personal interest but also for the interest of others he's saying this conflicts give us an opportunity to serve others and this results in joy Most of the time we think that uh, when I've got a problem with somebody else, I've got to get my own way and then I'll be happy. Paul says, you don't understand. Give in, submit, compromise. Now he's not talking about a biblical compromise here, but compromise and be flexible and don't get your own way and you will have joy. So so conflicts are an opportunity to serve others and minister to them and this results in joy. Now as we moved into chapter 3, he is still writing about joy because in chapter 3, verses verse 1, he writes this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. He's still writing about joy, but he's going to give them another problem, something that tends to rob us of joy. To write the same thing again, same things again is no trouble to me. It's a safeguard for you. Now watch this, verse 2: Beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware the false circumcision. In other words, he is writing to protect them from people who he calls dogs because they're barking out error. People who he says are evil workers because they want to bring people, they want to uh, proselytize people and bring them over to their way of thinking and beware of the false circumcision. That is, beware of those people who the Bible calls legalists or Judaizers, people who come along and say that that it's nice to believe in Christ, but you need something more. You need good works added to this. You need specifically to, to get into the law of Moses and be circumcised. In other words, you need to become a Jew before you, you can become a Christian. And Paul is saying you need to rejoice, and the way to rejoice is don't be distracted by this kind of garbage. Don't listen to this kind of stuff. Don't even contemplate. That Christ is not sufficient for you because you are complete in Jesus Christ. Now, that's what chapter 3 deals with. Paul is protecting his beloved church from falling prey to error. And the way he does this is by setting himself as an example of someone who has seen all that religion has to offer. Someone who's been there, and he makes a distinction between religion and coming to Christ. Religion is man's rules. Religion are traditions. Religion uh, is a set of of regulations and traditions and man made rules and policies. And it is man's effort to have God say, "I'm pleased with you." That's religion. Whatever way you want to label it, whatever tag you want to put on the religion, that's religion. Coming to Christ is recognizing that you can't do anything. Because Jesus Christ has done it all. He's paid for our sins. And when he said it's finished, that's exactly what he meant. Salvation is finished. I've paid the debt for man's sin. And all we can do is trust, trust that his death is sufficient for our sins. And that's how we're made right with God. And so Paul makes a contrast between religion and Christ and he says I'm the example I've seen it all I've been in religion he writes in verses 4 through 9 that uh, he tells him he was circumcised the eighth day verse 5 the nation of Israel the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee verse 6 is to zeal a persecutor of the church as to the righteousness which is in the law He said everybody looked at me and said he's blameless he did all the right things on the outside Paul says I was good I was as good as anyone could ever be but that wasn't enough that wasn't enough because he says that he trashed it all he 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 came to a point one day as god worked in his heart and brought him to christ that he realized that that was just garbage human effort is garbage as far as god is concerned notice he says in verse seven but whatever things were gained to me whatever things made me look good in the eyes of man whatever thing uh, uh, whatever made me climb the ladder of success in the religious game Those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I've thrown them overboard. I've said garbage. They don't profit me at all. In fact, they hurt me because they blinded me to see what I really need and that's salvation in Christ. I need forgiveness of sins through an atonement, not through my own human effort. So as a believer in Christ, he says, "I, I have so much more than I ever had in religion. And he goes on to explain that. We won't take the time to look at every verse now, but he says, I have a relationship with Christ. I know him. He says, I have a righteousness from God. I never had that in religion. And not only that, I have a reshaping of of goals. Now my goal is to know him better. Now my goal is to have victory, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now my goal is a fellowship with him as a result of suffering, because when I suffer because of him, I draw near to him and I say, Jesus, you're the only one who really understands, don't you? And he affirms that from his word that that's true. So he told them he had spiritual goals. Now, watch this. We're, we're moving up. We we're, we're really are making progress so that you'll understand verses 17 through 21. He told them he had goals. He said, as a, as a Christian, now I have tremendous goals in my life that I didn't have as a religious person. However, as we saw last week, he doesn't want to be uh, misunderstood. He doesn't want anybody saying, Wait a minute, you think you're perfect? Have you arrived? That I may know Christ. Do you think you know him perfectly? That I may know the power of his resurrection? Do you think that you don't have sin anymore? Some of them apparently did. Uh, Apparently the legalists were teaching, if you just follow our rules, you'll be fully sanctified. You'll be fully holy. You'll have arrived. And so Paul writes in verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. He says, I haven't arrived spiritually. I don't want you to misunderstand. I haven't made it yet but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I want to glorify God. I want my life to count for Him. I want to become like Jesus, but I'm not, I'm not there yet. So he, he continues to press on towards spiritual maturity, Christ-likeness. Now, as you go through this chapter, and we're now up to verse 17, you understand that Paul has one objective in mind, and that's what he said in verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, but it's a safeguard for you. He has one thing in mind. He wants to protect his flock. He, he cares so much about them that he's taking all of, this, all of this letter, all of this chapter to protect them. And now as he comes to the close of this chapter, he's going to give one final shot, one final attempt to protect them from abandoning the truth in Christ for religion with its rituals and external demands and that folks is why he's crying that's why he's weeping there is anguish in his heart because he knows that some in his beloved church are being seduced into serious error he is not crying for himself he is not weeping because of a lack of joy in his own heart he is weeping as he writes to them because he knows the devastating situation when someone abandons christ for what they think is better now, why is this so relevant for us? Well, let me say that I, I've entitled this message The Antidote for Religion. The Antidote for Religion. If the Philippians, as well as, as well as us, will obey and follow the truths laid down in this section, you'll forever be free from contemplating religion. You say, well, that, that doesn't happen. I'm, I'm, I'm in Christ, and that doesn't happen. Well, let me tell you why this is relevant for us. I see two reasons. Because so many cults and religious groups are filled with people who come from Bible-believing churches. Do you know that? Bible-believing churches who would fail the uh, the biblical literacy test that Michael Dick has on the back of that paper. They would fail it. They've been in Bible-believing churches. They've been taught the Bible, but they somehow have just sat there and not taking anything in. They're thinking about lunch or something like that when they ought to be studying the Bible. Or maybe they were in a Bible-believing church that didn't teach the Bible. You know, there are many churches like that. They just they, they believe the Bible, they believe every word of it, they just don't teach it. They give you a lot of illustrations and stories. Nice, but you don't know what the Bible says. But you need to understand that false teachers prey upon people who claim to believe the Bible but are ignorant of some vital truths revealed in Scripture. So they abandon the Bible for a false religion. Now the question is, are they really saved? Well, let me say, honestly, probably some are. They're just ignorant. And uh, those who are saved eventually come out of it. But they've wasted so many years in it. And probably reality is that most of them are not saved. Uh, They're just sort of denominational people who have grown up hearing the truth but never applied it to their lives. But some, I believe, really want to do what's right. They're just ignorant. You see, they know enough... Bible truth to be susceptible to somebody who comes along and uses the right language and draws them in. They knock on your door, they send you literature, they speak to you, you know people like that, you have have relatives like that, and they know just enough to be susceptible to any false teacher who quotes scripture, to an undiscerning person. Now there is a second reason why this is very pertinent and relevant to us and i'm going to explain this later and i don't want to be misunderstood you know what the the religion of our day is the religion of our day is psychology counseling i'm not talking about biblical counseling i'm not talking about biblical counseling that that causes a person to be confronted with sin and tells them what the word of god says but the religion of our day that says you need to see a therapist and you can't be whole Unless you continually see an analyst and a therapist, and then you'll be whole, and then you can function in life, is the new religion of our day, and it's sucking in a lot of Christians. Now, I don't think, and and I want to be fair with the scriptures, that's really not what Paul is specifically addressing. But in principle it is, it is someone who's coming along and, and saying, if you really want to be whole, if you really want to function, if you really want to be the person that God intended you to be, then you need to be involved in, in a continual, ongoing counseling situation. And so it is very relevant for us, and I'm going to apply this a little bit later, and I've never really addressed this issue, but I am growing more and more concerned about so-called Christian counseling as well as, as secular counseling. So the cure or antidote for religion is preventative medicine, really what it is. No one obey these truths and you'll never fall for these this seducing spirits. A twofold cure antidote to religion. Number one, the first aspect of the cure is fellowship with Jesus Christ. I'm not going to tell you anything that's that deep. I'm just going to tell you what this passage is is saying, and it is rather basic. But those who abandon this tend to think this is Mickey Mouse stuff, that they've broadened their minds, they've expanded. They used to be here, but now they've got so much more. And that's why I read from Colossians in... um, In the pastoral prayer, you are complete in Christ, and you need to understand that. Verse 17, Paul begins by saying, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Now, the first thing Paul says is follow my example and the example of others like me. In other words, imitate us. Now, if you took that verse out of context, you've you've got to think, boy, this guy's got a real ego trip. Who would dare say, follow me? And, and follow my example and literally imitate, be, be a joint imitator of me. So we don't want to take the verse out of context keep in mind what is the context we'll look at verses 12 through 14 not that i have already obtained it or have already become perfect but i press on in order that i may lay hold of that for which i was laid hold of by christ brethren i do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet but one thing i do forgetting what lies behind reaching forward to what lies ahead i press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of god in christ jesus does this sound like a man who's got an ego trip no. This is a man who's saying, "I desperately want to be like Jesus Christ, but I'm not there yet." That's not an ego maniac. So you have to see it in context. He's just said that and while you've had a week in between, the Philippians read this letter right through. And so they're not saying, "Oh, what did he say last week?" No. They understand that that he's just finished saying, "Um, I have not arrived. I don't claim to be perfect." So now what did Paul mean by this? Follow me. I think I think what he means is is uh, found uh, a verse that helps us is found in First Corinthians eleven one. Paul said in that passage, "Follow me as I follow Christ." That's the concept. First Corinthians eleven one. Follow me as I follow Christ. He's not saying, "Look at me, I'm great." He's saying, "As I follow Jesus Christ, I want you to see me in me a pattern of how you should." B. he's not claiming that he's perfect he's not claiming that everything is in order but he is claiming that he is a pattern of pursuing christ likeness so the heart of what paul is saying to the philippians is that instead of looking to the legalists as examples to follow they need to look to his example and what was his example what would you find if you followed paul's example a man who kept his eyes on the lord man who kept his eyes on the Lord, fellowshiped with Christ. In verse 7, we saw a man who turned his back on religion for Christ. That's what he's saying. Turn your back on religion. Follow my exam. I turned away from it. Verse 8, let's look at verse 8, verse 8, more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, a man who saw religion for what it really was, trash, garbage, you could translate this manure and, and not be incorrect. and and one who saw Christianity for what it really was, the surpassing value of knowing the person of Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, follow my example throw away religion, come to Christ, understand that Christianity is about Jesus. In verse 10, he says that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. If you follow the example of Paul, you'll follow a man who built on that knowledge by wanting to know Christ better, wanting victory in his own life, and wanting to fellowship with the Lord Jesus as a result of his suffering. And also you would would follow and find in him a man who desperately wanted to be like Christ and was pressing towards the mark of maturity let me tell you what the principle is the way to avoid falling into any theological error or any kind of system that says you need us to function properly is to keep your eyes on christ and fellowship with him it's so basic but it is so critical fellowship with jesus christ people who know the lord and then fall into cults or false doctrines or anything that claims to make them better and that they need this and they have to be a whole coming out of this is pe- are people who have just gotten out of fellowship with Christ they've gotten their eyes off of the lord they may have been very active in church they may have uh, held all kinds of positions but Christ was no longer the center of their lives they may have been very very busy in the Lord's work, but not necessarily busy with the Lord. Let me show you a whole church that was characterized by that. In Revelation chapter 2, in Revelation chapter 2, you meet some people like this. The whole church is characterized by this. Revelation 2, verses 2 through 4. This is the church at Ephesus. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Now, isn't that a good church? Wouldn't you want to be like in a church like that? Uh, notice what he says. Your, your deeds, you're busy, you're toiling, you persevere, you can't endure evil men, uh, you deal with church discipline, you, you put the test, uh, test, those who call themselves apostles, you're, you're sound in your theology. When they're false, you don't let them in the church, you've persevered, you've endured, you've handled suffering, but notice this. Verse 4, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. You've left your first love. They were active and busy and theologically sound, but they're out of fellowship with Christ. Isn't that sad? Out of fellowship with Christ. All these things that they were doing, they were doing sort of just out of mechanics, but not in fellowship with Christ doesn't mean they've, they've fallen from grace. doesn't mean they're not saved, certainly. It just means that they're not in love with Jesus like they used to be.
1: It is incredibly easy to fall out of fellowship with Jesus, and it doesn't have to be the result of active sin. All too often, we just get wrapped up in living the Christian life, and we let the connection to the source of that life uh, just sort of wither away. We need to take the time to rest in the presence of Jesus. It was a pleasure to have you with us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is taking us one verse at a time through the third chapter of Philippians. Pastor Steve has been serving for over 27 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His expository messages come to your radio through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. If you would like to listen again to today's program, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can download the audio file for later or listen online. We also offer a free podcasting service to help you catch all the future classes. And there is an archives page on the website so that you can go back and pick up any classes you may have missed. That web address again is versebyverseradio.org. To hear the entire message from which today's class was taken, you can order a CD or a cassette. Just call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. At the heart of every cult is an incorrect teaching about the identity and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Steve will have some tips for us on the next Verse by Verse. Those will help us to see through the disguises and to distinguish biblical fact from religious fiction. We are here to give you strength between...